Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for a beautiful day. And thank you for all of the residents that are here this morning. And Lord, we just want to praise you on, on such a glorious day. We thank you for being God, Jesus. Father, for sending your son to die for our sins. That we can look at a passage of your Bible this morning. And also, Lord, that you are our Savior, our Redeemer. And we just want to delight in your presence today. Lord, um, that you would just see a little bit into your word this morning, that you will give us a glimpse of your glory, and that your Holy Spirit would be here, Lord, that you would protect the words that I speak, and Lord, that all of us would learn to love you more. We praise you, God. Amen. So the, um, the passage that we're going to look at this morning, it's really a classic passage from the Bible. It's from a chapter of Romans, Romans 8, and we're going to look at uh, briefly the first 10 verses of Romans chapter 8. And um, it's interesting, I have a Schofield King James Bible, and Schofield points out that in all of the seven chapters of Romans up to this point, the Holy Spirit is only mentioned one time. However, in, these, in this chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 19 times. So there's really an emphasis upon the Holy Spirit and how he works in our life. And the title for this message this morning is Pardon from the Wrath of God. And all of us are born as sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we are sinners by our nature because... We have Adam's nature, and Adam was the first man who sinned. And because of that, we inherit the qualities of our parents. And he is our physical parent going all the way back to the beginning of creation. Jesus is the second Adam. And Jesus being God, it's impossible for him to sin. And when we're born again, we take upon the qualities of our Heavenly Father. So in the physical realm, we're all going to die. Our bodies are waxing old each day. But in the spiritual realm, if you are born again, you are made righteous through the blood of Christ, and you have eternal life. And that's really what this passage of Romans chapter 8 is all about. So let's take a look at the first page. I have the first 10 verses. I'm going to read them in its totality, and then we'll take a look at the verses individually. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God, sending his own Son, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemn sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. 
Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So let's take a look at the first point here, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And the first verse says, There is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. If one of us were to commit a crime and we were arrested by the police, we would have to go before a judge and be held accountable for our actions. And the judge would then determine the, the evidence, and based on what the evidence would present, we would be determined guilty. And then he would give a sentence for so long in the jail. The judge would condemn us for a certain amount of time to be held until we had paid back our retribution to society. This, that principle holds with God. The Bible says, for all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. But this verse here, it's beautiful. It's talking about and saying there is no condemnation. If you are in Christ Jesus today, the penalty for your sin has been paid by Christ. Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty of sin for everyone who believes. And there is no condemnation then. And it says, to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh. Walking is an active activity. If I had to walk from my car into this building this morning, I didn't just mentally transport myself in here. So walking is a picture of what we do in our life. Many people think they get saved and they mark some date on their calendar when they're 15 or 20 or 25. However, their life does not testify that they were ever saved. We're on a preordained path that's going to end in our death and then we will enter into eternity and so this says walking not after the flesh but walking in the spirit so if you're saved today your lifestyle will be your testimony and it will be a proactive testimony you will be walking somewhere in your life each and every day John 3.19 says and this is the condemnation John spells out what the condemnation is in our life. Here you go, ma'am. He says, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So light has come into the world and the light that came into the world is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the light of the world. And the Bible says God is light and in him is no darkness. And the light of the world will consume the darkness. But here it's saying men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. And it goes on to say everyone that hates the light 
doesn't come to the light because they don't want their deeds to be reproved. They don't want their deeds to be known. They don't want their deeds to be manifest. And that's why it seems like a lot of evil activity is done in the dark. You know, our pastor always said, nightclubs, they always turn the lights down low so that nobody knows what's going on about the people that are at the nightclub. John 5.24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. He that hears my word. You know, as we talk about God's word this morning, all of you that have hearing, you're hearing God's word. The Bible says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. There's power in the word of God. There's the power of God unto salvation. Here it says, I say unto you, he that hears the word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life. It's really that simple. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Do you have a godly sorrow for your sin pattern in your life? Are you willing to forsake your sin and turn to Christ? If you do that, you have come into the kingdom. You are saved. You're on your way to heaven. He that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life. Romans 5.18 says, Therefore, as by the offense of one, that's Adam, the offense being the original sin in the Garden of Eden, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. The Bible says, For as by the sin of one sin entered, by the, by the sin of one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And that death has passed upon all men, for we all have sinned. And it says, even so, by the righteousness of one, that's Jesus. Jesus is righteous, he's perfect, he's God, he's holy, he never sinned. The righteousness of one, the free gift, came upon all men unto justification of life. So everyone who has received Jesus as Lord and Savior and Redeemer of their life... They have justification. Justification, the doctrine of justification says it's just as if you never sinned. <laughs> That's the beauty of justification. Let's look at the second verse here. Romans 8, 2 says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus made me free from the law of sin and death. There is a law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. God is a very orderly God. Everything he does in the universe is perfect. The leaves were in the beautiful season of autumn. Every one of those leaves is authored by God to turn a color at a certain time during the season. God control every snowflake that falls. Every breath we take, every heartbeat our heart beats is from God. He is very orderly. And here it says he has a law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Well, what is the law of the spirit? The law of the Spirit is when God indwells us and we're made alive in Christ and then we start to live for the Lord. We want to be righteous servants and active servants in the kingdom. That's the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And it makes us free from the law of sin and death. The law, the Ten Commandments, that says we know the, the law as the Ten Commandments. It's a perfect and righteous but it's a very rigid standard. And it shows us exactly where we go wrong in our life. 
The law doesn't change. The Ten Commandments will never change. God said the word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the word. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The word will never pass away. So the standard, the perfection of the law will never change. But for the sinner, it's the judge. It shows where we've made mistakes in our life, where we've offended God's holiness. Job 33, 4 says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty has given me life. All things were created by him, and without him was nothing made that was made. The Bible de de declares that Jesus is the creator. And here Job is underscoring that. And he's also saying the Almighty has given him life. The Almighty gave Job spiritual life, but the Almighty also gives all of us physical life. The Bible says everything that pertains unto life and godliness is from Jesus. John 6.63 says, It is the spirit that quickeneth. Quickeneth means to be made alive. It's the spirit that gives us eternal life. It says, The flesh profited nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. John 8.36 says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. You know, in our society, we have many rights and privileges, yes? And people are always really concerned about their offenses and don't disrespect me. But in the spiritual world, the only way you can be free is to be, be, be made free by Jesus, Holy Spirit. And John is saying, If the Son makes you free... You shall be free indeed. Let's look at the third verse of Romans 8. It says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That's a long verse. But let's go back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They were keeping the Ten Commandments. Because they were without sin. But they were physical, fleshly beings. And they, this Bible verse says, in that it was weak through the flesh. The law became weak through the flesh of Adam and Eve. They were tempted and they succumbed to the sin. The sin, they didn't have a sin nature, but they gave it to the temptation. Once they sinned, they now had a sin nature. And it says, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. When Jesus was born, he was a baby, just like any other baby. My daughter has a granddaughter, and she's three months and two weeks old now. She's a little baby. And I look at her, and I know this is a baby in the flesh. When Jesus was born, he was all God. He was everywhere, but he was in the likeness of sinful flesh. He looked like a baby. <laughs> he had to have his diaper changed. He needed to be fed. He was after sinful flesh, and he came to kill sin. It says, God, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Only God can overcome sin in the flesh. Jesus was tempted in all manner, but never sinned. This morning, our pastor went over the passages in Mark and Luke, where Jesus was tempted in the wilderness... At, when he was fasting 40 days and 40 nights by, <coughs> excuse me, by Satan, he never sinned. 
John chapter 3, 13 to 15 says, And no man has ascended up to heaven, this is Jesus, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. This is Jesus speaking these words to the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He's physically present with them. And he says, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. He's saying to them, I'm speaking to you right now, but I'm, because I'm God, I'm everywhere, I am in heaven as I speak to you. He was declaring his deity. The rest of that verse says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's on the cross. Moses, there was a, a plague that had gone on because of the murmurings that the Hebrews were doing. And God sent a plague through their midst. And Moses had to put a serpent, which represented sin, on a stick. And when he held that up, and Aaron went through the crowd, the plague ended. And that's a picture of Jesus conquering sin on the cross. And then that verse goes on to say, Whosoever believes in Jesus should not perish, but have eternal life. And then the following verse, of course, we know John 3.16. For whosoever believes on God will have everlasting life. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, shall no flesh be justified in his sight. By the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. There is nobody on earth who can keep the law. Nobody. No matter how righteous you think you are, or how often you go to church, there's nobody who can keep the law. Hebrews 7.19 says, For the law made nothing perfect. But bringing in a better hope did. The hope being Jesus Christ on the cross. By the which we draw nigh unto God. We cannot draw nigh, we cannot draw close to God by keeping the law. We can only draw nigh unto, Christ, unto God through Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. But by faith in Christ as our Redeemer and our Savior. Romans 8, 4 says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The ways of the world are the flesh. And there is many lists of the sins that we're all capable of doing, and many of us have done them. And all of them are summarized in the Ten Commandments. If I were to put the lists of the sins in the New Testament, it would cover half the page. God spells them out many, many times in his word. And this says, the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. None of us can keep the law in the flesh. All that we can do in the flesh is sin. And all of us sin every day. But our sin is washed away, it's covered Remember two weeks ago we talked about that word propitiation, where the wrath of God is satisfied through his blood atonement. His blood covers our sins in the spiritual world. And when God looks down on the believer, he sees the sacrifice his son had done for us, that we have received him as his savior, and he no longer 
has a curse of death upon us. We are made righteous, not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Romans 3, 27 and 28 says, Where is boasting then? It is excluded. None of us can boast. No matter what we do in our life, we have no reason to boast. It says, by the, by the law? By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. The only way we can boast is to say, Jesus did it all. I didn't do anything. Christ did it all on the cross. He rose from the dead on Easter Sunday morning. He proved he's holy. He proved he's God. He proved he's the only way to, to heaven. So our boasting isn't in what we do. Our boasting is, the fini- is in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So let's look at Romans 3.31 on the next page. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. No, we establish the law. Again, God will never do away with his law. The Ten Commandments, our, that's our template for how to live our life. The first ones deal with God, how, our relationship with God, and then the, the, the second half deal with our relationship with fellow men. Those rules will never go away. So God is saying, we don't void the law through faith, but what, the, what our faith does is it frees us up from the law of sin and death to serve our fellow Christians and to witness to the lost. That's what the Bible, through faith in God, is really freeing us up to do. Colossians 1, 20-22 says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. To reconcile means to meet, to make, to be um, made re- restor- re- hard to speak restoration in the fellowship with Christ. If we get out of sorts with somebody in our family, say it's our children, maybe our mom and our dad, our spouse, in order to repair that relationship, we have to reconcile. And only the only way to reconcile with God is through faith in His in His Son. There is no other way to reconcile with God. And without reconciliation, we can't go to heaven. And it goes on to say, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your minds by wicked works. You know, we are, in our minds, we know when we do wicked works. Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of Jesus' flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. You know, the, the, the devil's going to be at the judgment seat, and he's going to be telling all the sins we've done. But Jesus is our advocate. And it says we, he will present every one of us in this room who's a Christian, he will present us holy and unblameable and unreprovable. There will be no proof that the Father will accept because Jesus' blood covers it all. All right, the second point. Carnal versus spiritual mindedness. Romans 5, 8, 5, 8, 5 says, For they that are in the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Habakkuk 2, 4 says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. 
Habakkuk is refer referencing the, the believer, I mean the unbeliever who has pride. And he thinks what he has done has lifted him up in God's presence. But Habakkuk says his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright. He may think he's good, but in God's eyes, he is not good. And then it goes on to say the just, the ones who are righteous, the ones who are redeemed, shall live by faith. Even back in the book of Habakkuk, it was making it very clear that justification wasn't through works, it was through faith in Christ. How did Moses get saved? By faith, Moses. How did Abraham get saved? By faith, Abraham. Sarah, Samuel, Samson, David, all the great saints of the Old Testament were saved by faith. There's never been a different way to come to Christ. It's through faith. 1 Corinthians 15, 47 and 48 says, The first man is of the earth, that's Adam, earthly. The second man, that's Jesus, is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthly, such are they that are earthly. And as the heavenly, such as they are heavenly. It's very clear. God makes a very clear distinction in his word that if you live after the flesh, you die. The first man is of the earth and he's earthy. And we know people that come into and out of our lives and we kind of mark people as we go, yes? We, we know people with good personalities, bad personalities. We also know people that have sin patterns and their lives reflect that they are not saved. And also we know when we're in the presence of a godly person, that the Holy Spirit just communes with the Spirit in us, and we know they are, they are Christians. I've been on missions trips on the other side of the world, or sometimes I might be in an airport, or sitting on a plane next to somebody, and the Spirit bears witness with my spirit that that person is a Christian. And we're totally from different cultures. We don't even speak the same language in many cases. And yet the Holy Spirit is the witness. 2 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Amen. Because we're all tempted. God can deliver us. And to reserve the unjust, the lost, the damned, unto the day of judgment to be punished. The people who believe in evolution, they think there is no afterlife. That once you die, that's it. They have a big surprise waiting for them. Because there is an afterlife, and we're all, all of us will die. It's appointed on men once to die. You know, we have a calendar that we write down important dates, yes? Maybe it's a doctor's appointment. Maybe your children are coming to visit. Maybe it's an anniversary, a birthday, something like that. We write those down on our calendar. Do you know God has a day appointed for all of us to die on his calendar? We don't know what day it is, but it's appointed on man once to die. We're on God's calendar, and then there will be the judgment. It goes on to say in 2 Peter 9 and 10, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. You know, many people that walk in the world... They despise government. Why do they despise government? Because government gives us rules to live by. We all have to pay taxes. We, there, there's many, you, you only can drive your car so fast in certain roads. 
There are rules that the government puts in place. You can't drive drunk. You can't take drugs. There's many things that the government says, but the ones that are outside God's rule, they, it says they live in the lust of uncleanness and they despise the government. They're presumptuous and they're self-willed and they're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. And the dignity is not just being the authorities in our life. The dignity is being the holiness of God in the spiritual realm. They have no problem disrespecting dignities that are, they don't even know the, or understand these dignities and that they speak reviling words against them. Romans 8, 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So Romans 6, 20 and 21, this, discussing that says, for when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So th these two verses are saying, when you were a servant of sin, you were free from righteousness. You know, in our life, it's hard to serve two masters. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So we tend to go to the one where we can serve best. And when you're lost, you're under the power of sin. And you, this verse says you are a servant of sin, and you're free from righteousness. You're a servant of sin and the devil, and you're on your way to hell, and you're free from the blood atonement and the righteousness of Christ. And then it says, when you became saved, it says, what fruit in all of those things that you did before you were saved are you proud of? No, it says, in those things you are now ashamed. If you have a, mark, a demarcation in your point in your life where you're saved, let's say you were saved at 20 or 25. In fact, the older you are when you were saved, you have more of a track record of sin you can look back on. You're ashamed of those things. If you're truly saved, there's nothing that you did in the sin life that you would be proud of. It says, for the end of those things is death. The wages of sin is death. Why would we be proud of something that would lead to death? Only an unsaved person would be proud of his lifestyle of sin. Romans 7, 5 says, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law did work in our members to bring fruit unto death. The Bible, by the law, the Ten Commandments, defines what we were doing that was wrong. Maybe we took the name of the Lord in vain. Maybe we stole. Maybe we were living in adultery. Maybe we didn't honor our parents. Maybe we were lusting after things in life that we shouldn't lust after. All of those things defined by the law result in death. Did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. And you know it's amazing how sin bears fruit. The Bible says the sin will be passed from the father to the third and the fourth generation. If I were to be an alcoholic, it's more than likely one of my children would be an alcoholic. The sin passes on to the third and the fourth generation. Now, the word of God can sever that, that trait, that sin pattern, just by through his power through the power of the Holy Spirit, it will sever that sin pattern in our family life. And then the person who's saved becomes a testimony to the rest of the family who is not saved. 
Romans 7, 10, and 11 says, and the commandment which was ordained to life, you know, the commandment was ordained to give life, to show. If we live the ten, a lifestyle of the Ten Commandments, isn't our life happier? If we don't sin, if we don't do those vile things, isn't our life a lot more peaceful? That's, the, the law was ordained unto life. That's what this verse is saying. I found to be, the, the law that was ordained for life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and it slew me. All sin will deceive you. We always buy the lie. We think there's pleasure in that sin. But this verse says, it slew me. Sin always will kill you. It will always end in your spiritual death. Always. That's, that's, you can take that to the bank. You need Jesus as your Savior to give you eternal life. Because the sin has killed you when it deceived you through the power of the sin. I'll read that again. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, defined by the Ten Commandments, deceived me. It lied to me and I bought the lie. And by it slew me. It killed me. My soul was spiritually, my spirit is dead in sin. Galatians 6, 8 says, For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. In the physical world, we see people that can abuse their physical bodies, yes? They might drink and get uh, cirrhosis of the liver. They, They can smoke cigarettes and have lung cancer. They can take drugs and die a young death. A lot of the rock musicians die when they're in their 20s and 30s because they abuse drugs. This one's saying, he that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. And that's another one of those unchangeable laws that God put in place. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Are you sowing to the Spirit today? If you're not saved, you can be saved today. And if you are saved, God wants you to plant seeds of righteousness that impact other people's lives. He wants us to be a testimony for the lost. And that is what it's talking about. Sowing to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Romans 8, 7 says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. It's impossible for the carnal mind to be at peace with God. Enmity means it's like an enemy. It's at war. They're always at odds. The, the spirit cannot be at peace with sin. It's impossible because God is holy. He cannot have sin in his presence because the carnal mind is enmity against, the God, against God. It is not subject to the law of God. It is not under the power of God's holiness. And a carnal mind is a mind, you know, all of us have thoughts. A carnal mind is something that dwells Always on the worldly things. And the Bible defines lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those are the the carnal things that go into our mind. And all the hosts of sins that are tied to those three categories are in our minds. And the people, we can say their minds are polluted. They're polluted with sin. And they're polluted with the darkness of the world. But it says, if you are saved, you're not subject to the law, to that carnal mind. 
Romans 1.28 says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, to do those sins. And then God lists, after this verse, like 17 or 18 different types of sins. But it says, They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Out in the world today, most people, they do not want to retain God in their knowledge. And by that retaining, it means God puts himself in their mind. But they don't want to retain it there. Right? A retainer keeps your teeth in place. They don't want to retain God, just like your teeth stay in place in your mouth. God wants his presence in your mind. God says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The Christian will always work at having a clean mind, a clean heart, good intentions for his fellow man. But these people, the lost, they did not like to retain God in their mind, in their knowledge. They didn't want anything to do with God. And then what did God do? He judged them. He gave them over to a reprobate mind. Reprobate means it's broke. It doesn't work. It doesn't function properly. These people might be very intelligent, but they're on their way to hell. They could be smart. They could be rich. They could be very strong politically. Many of the people who have reprobate minds in the spiritual realm are the world's leaders. All right, so let's go to the last page. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. In order to understand the spiritual things of God in his word, you have to be saved. Because if you're not saved, you are not spiritually discerned. You don't have God's spiritual discernment. Discernment means you can understand things better. If you're not saved, you don't have spiritual discernment. And this verse says, the natural man, the natural man being after Adam, somebody who's not saved, they receive not the things of the Holy, of the Spirit of God. They can't receive it. It's like you send a parcel post to somebody and you have an address on it. But the address never makes it to the lost person. The, the Word of God doesn't make it to the lost person. It says, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. How many people that, if you witness to them, they don't want to hear the Word of God because they go, oh, that's foolishness. I don't want to hear it. I don't need God. I'm rich. I'm healthy. I'm successful. I'm an atheist. I believe in evolution. Whatever. They think spiritual things are foolishness. What a blessing for us who are Christians who God lifts up that blindness from our spiritual eyes and we see how beautiful his word is, how wise his word is, how it leads us on the path of righteousness. What a blessing that can be. But to the world, it's foolishness. And that's sad. Ephesians 4, 18 and 19 says, Having the understanding darkened, their understanding is darkened, and being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. In many ways, you know, to be ignorant doesn't mean you're stupid. It means you don't know the facts. To be ignorant of the facts, you could be very intelligent, but if you don't know the fact pattern, you're ignorant of those facts. And many times, people are ignorant of the Word of God. That's why we should always take the opportunity to witness. Because by sharing the gospel of Christ, by sharing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, they are no longer ignorant of those spiritual facts, and perhaps they will be saved. 
There's power of God in the word. That's what the Bible tells us. And it goes on to say, who being past feeling, having given themselves over to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. The people who God gives over to a reprobate mind, it's very difficult for them ever to be saved. There is a spiritual line that through blasphemy of the Holy Spirit where you can cross that you've done the unforgivable sin. And many times these people who have reprobate minds, they have, it says God has given them over to lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is, is like the highest level of living in the world. And it says they work uncleanness with greediness. That means they are so into their sins, it's like they're greedy. Did you ever see little kids at a party and maybe you break a bag of candy and they all jump on the circle and they all want the candy, right? And it's kind of like being a little bit greedy. God says those people that have reprobate minds, they do sins with greed. It's like how much sin can they do? And the Bible says they're reaping wrath against themselves on the day of wrath. They're reaping up wrath against the day of wrath. It's a very serious condition that they're in. And it's really scary for us who understand what the Bible teaches. James 4.4 4 says, You adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? There's that enmity again. If you're a friend of the world, you're doing things that are opposed to the holiness of God. And it says, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. If you're embracing things of the world, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, those things are at enmity with God, and God's word says, you are now God's enemy. Does God ever lose a battle or a war? No. You don't want to be God's enemy, because you're always going to lose. But, if you now are receiving Jesus as your Savior, as your Redeemer, Jesus will stick closer than a brother. You're adopted into the family of God. You're a joint heir with Christ and your fellow brothers with other, and sisters with other Christians. You're no longer an enemy with God because Jesus is our peace. He is our reconciliation. 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world, Neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If the love of the Father is not in you, you're not saved. So it really comes down to, do you love the world and sin and the pleasures of sin for a very short season more than God? Or are you willing to cast aside the sins of the world and embrace the love of God, the protection of God, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, the mercy of God, all those qualities that God has, he will give us those. Do you want the sin which is dark, or do you want the holiness and the light of God? That's really what it comes down to for all of us in our life. <clears throat> Romans 8.8 8 says, so then, that they are, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're living in the world, you cannot please God. If you cannot please God, you can't go to heaven. If, you're get, if you cast aside the ways of the world and embrace Jesus, then you can please God. And if you please God by receiving through faith Jesus as your Savior, then you go to heaven. It, isn't it so clear? 
I mean, this isn't rocket science. God makes it very, even a little child can understand the ways of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, a child many times has an advantage over an adult because they have simple childlike faith. All the things of life never cluster, get cluttered in their mind. They don't worry about mortgages and doctor bills and all of those kind of things. They just go, oh yeah, Jesus died for my sins. I believe. <laughs> and they're saved. Um, Luke 6, 13 says, No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God in the world, God in the flesh, God in money. You have to make a choice. No servant can have two masters. And this servant translates slave. No slave can have two masters. Uh, uh, Two masters couldn't have the same slave. What good would that slave be, right? You either have to go with one master or the other master. The same thing with each one of us. Which, who is our master? Is sin our master or is God and his Holy Spirit our master? You cannot serve God and mammon. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus gave himself on the cross for every one of us in this room. And we need, all that we need to do is by faith believe that. And it, the Bible says, for the joy that was set for before him, he endured the cross. And now, excuse me, and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He, and waiting for the father to say, okay, it's time to go back. It's time to bring your children home. It's time to judge the world. It's time to, to enter into eternity. These are the next events on God's calendar. Colossians 1.10 says that you walk, that you might walk worthy of the Lord in all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And again, this is a, a proactive action. You're walking. You're not standing still. And it says increasing in the knowledge of God. Are you studying your word today? We have a Bible. Every one of us probably has multiple Bibles. In my house there's probably I'm just guessing between hymnals and Bibles, 50 books. I'm without excuse. I have a Bible on my phone. I have a Bible on my laptop. All of these tools we have, we can turn on the radio, there's preachers, television, there's preachers. have to be careful which ones you listen to on television, but there are so many ways for us to increase in our knowledge of the Word. And the best way to increase the knowledge of the Word is by growing in faith, is having our relationship. God pours into our mind and our life the more we fellowship with Him. He leads and directs us. His eye, as we talked about two weeks ago, his eye is upon us. Okay, the last point, the indwelling of the spirit of Christ in Christians. Romans 8, 9 says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so that the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Are you in the flesh, or are you, you in the spirit? If you're in the spirit... It says the Spirit of God dwells in you. Your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. But if the Spirit is not in you, you're none of His. You're not of God. You know, when, by, when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, 
He said, you are of your father the devil. In other words, they were not saved. And those are real, that has not changed. We're either a child of God or we're a child of the devil. We don't want to be a child of the devil because the devil is going to be judged and all the souls will be cast into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire was not prepared for humans. It was prepared for the fallen demons. And demons are much stronger than humans. So just think about the level of suffering a human body would have in a furnace that was prepared for a demon. It's, it's scary thoughts. Colossians 1.10 says that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We need to increase in the knowledge of God by studying his word. 1 Thessalonians 4.1 says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. Here, Paul is saying, I have taught you how to walk. I have showed you the, and lived the word of God before you. All of us as Christians, we are now a testimony to the unbelievers. And you know, what did God say at the end of Matthew chapter 28? Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Baptizing them, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So we are not only to live a holy life, now, God also instructs, actually he commands us to go and teach all nations, to witness to people. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you know that maybe they're saved, maybe they're not saved, but they don't really know a lot about the word of God. You can just share with them a verse or two, and that seed will be planted in their mind, and who knows when it will pop out of the ground and start to grow and bear fruit. We, we never know. God works in very mysterious ways. And then the last verse we're going to look at is Romans 8.10. It says, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit of life because of righteousness. All of us are going to die. You know, when I went to visit my mom and dad, um, I guess it's three weeks ago now, my dad drove me into the cemetery because my younger brother brought, bought a, a tombstone with my, along with my sister. And um, it got, I don't have a tombstone yet. But it, it, it brings home, when you drive through a cemetery, it brings home the reality of death. Every one of those tombstones has either at least one or multiple bodies under it. Under my grandma's tombstone, there's like eight people. So a, a, a cemetery shows, it reminds us we're all going to die. And this verse says, the body is dead because of sin. We're still, our sin is still under the first Adam's nature. That's why we're going to die. The wages of sin is death. But it says here, the spirit is life because of righteousness. We have a body, soul, and a spirit. The soul is eternal and the spirit is eternal. The spirit is either dead or alive. In John 3, Jesus said, marvel not that I said you must be born again. You have to be born of the Spirit to enter into the kingdom. That's what he was teaching Nicodemus. The body will die and go in the ground or be cremated or what you do upon, upon your death, but it will be resurrected at the judgment seat, either the Bema seat for rewards for a Christian or the great white throne and the determination of the levels of punishment in eternity for the damned. John 3.21 says, But he that doeth truth 
comes to the light, that his deeds may be, man be made manifest. They are wrought in God. If you're saved, the deeds that you do, the righteous deeds for Christ, they're wrought in God. Did you ever hear that term, wrought steel, iron, iron steel? It's strong. And the deeds that we do as Christians, they're wrought in God. They're strong through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the final verse that we look at is Jude 24-25. It, it says, Now unto them that are able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his holy with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. That's really a prayer. Only Jesus can present us faultless through his blood atonement to the Father. And then all of these things. The only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. So let's pray. Father, we again thank you for a beautiful day. Thank you for your word that we can study it and meditate upon it and memorize it. And also, Lord, if there's somebody here not saved today, that today would be the day that they receive you as Lord and Savior. And also for the Christians that are here, I know this room has many, many Christians in it, that this week we would take it upon us to maybe pray for somebody in our family or our friends that we know is going through maybe some trials of health or money or spiritual trials, emotional trials, or perhaps we know people that are not saved that we desire and we long to see them in heaven one day, that we would pray for them and maybe even and just draw close to you in prayer and plead for their souls. And Lord, we know you answer prayer, and that's how we communicate with you. And we, Jesus, we know you're a good God. You're, the, you're, you're awesome in power, and we love you. Father, thank you for sending your son to die for our sins, for my sins, and that your Holy Spirit would just... Quicken the lost soul here today and also keep us from harm, spiritual harm this coming week. And we love you, God. Amen.